Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 576 with Rasmus Hugard. Rasmus is one of the world's leading authorities on how you can beat distraction and get better mental resilience going through mindfulness. You'll learn, one, why we get distracted by the news and how to curb the impulse, two, the quantifiable benefits of mindfulness, and three, the small habits that build great resilience. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP576, and you can access those goodies that way. Now, here's Rasmus's story. Rasmus Hugard is the founder and CEO of Potential Project, the global leader in building mindful leaders and organizations by enhancing performance, innovation, and resilience through mindfulness. He is the author of One Second Ahead, as well as The Mind of the Leader, a bestseller published by Harvard Business Review. In addition, he writes for Harvard Business Review and Forbes and lectures at the world's leading business and executive education schools. Big thanks to Rasmus for sharing his wisdom with us, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. And big thanks to our sponsor, Acorns. Acorns makes it easy to start automatically saving and investing for your future. You don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. Acorns recommends an expert-built portfolio that fits you and your money goals, then automatically invests your money for you. NerdWallet.com, whom I love on these sorts of matters, gives Acorns a whopping 4.7 stars and says, quote, if you want to make the most of your spare change, there's no better place to do that than Acorns. Head to acorns.com slash awesome or download the acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today and we got a legal disclaimer here it may not be representative of all clients tier one compensation provided compensation provides an incentive to positively promote acorns view important disclosures at acorns.com awesome investing involves risk including the loss of principal please consider your objectives risk tolerance and acorns as fees before investing acorns advisors llc acorns is an sec registered investment advisor brokerage services are provided to clients of acorns by acorn securities llc member at finra sipc for more information visit acorns.com here is Rasmus. Rasmus, thanks for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Pete, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I, I'm intrigued. So, so right in your bio, you live in both Copenhagen and New York. Can you tell me how do these nations contrast? Well, these cities, the cities and the nations, the cultures contrast. Yes. Well, I have a very fast rowing boat, so I'm just going across the Atlantic every every Wednesday. No, that's not true, of course. Uh, uh, and, and I should just uh, just disclaimer, this was before the whole COVID because right uh, right the last, uh, what is it now, two and a half months or so, I've been based in Copenhagen. But yes, I have a house in New York and a house in Copenhagen, but I'm honestly spending most of my time everywhere else. Uh, so I travel a lot of the time. So in the U.S. versus Denmark, what would you say are some of the key cultural differences? Anywhere you go in the U.S., people are smiling and being really happy and like kind, open. In Denmark, and with all respect for my own nation, People will look at their feet when you meet them for the first time. It'll take like two years before they say hi to you. So that's probably one of the bigger differences. Okay. <laughs> well, it's a good thing that you're an expert on mindfulness and resilience. So uh, that doesn't uh, get you down. <laughs> and I guess you're just accustomed to it. So I, I was reading your, your recent piece in uh, the Harvard Business Review. And uh, there's so much good stuff in there I want to dig into in some more detail. So can you tell us how the science behind how constant bad news puts our mind in a natural place where we get distracted. Like, what's that mechanism or link? 
Yeah, that's a, that's a great question and something that probably most people experience right now. So when we come under stress, when we basically become anxious because of like a crisis that we're experiencing now with both our health and our, our financial situation under risk or under attack, the fight flight part of the brain, which is a very old part of the brain, kicks in. And we basically start to look for all the threat. We start to look for all the changes in the environment. And that in itself makes us incredibly distracted. So that's why we check the news more often. That's why we are binging on social media. And yeah, that, that's, 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 how, that's how the brain works. Well, well yeah, that's, I love that's pretty simple and succinct there in terms of, I, I guess I before got how, yeah, okay, fight or flight, you get kind of nervous and there's cortisol and, and you see a threat and you're amped up. But then naturally to scan for threats in, in modern times means check the news, check the social media, check the text, like what, what's the new thing that's gonna, you know, I have to be aware about and, and uh, defend myself from. So, so that's, that's very clear, thank you. So then uh, your study, you said that recently you saw that 58% of employees reported an inability to regulate their attention at work. Tell us, uh, what, what, how did you conduct this research and, and, and when did it happen and what's the story? Uh, so we have around 600 global companies we work with and we do a lot of research on their employees and their leaders. This specific study, we were out and using technology uh, through the phone to basically measure where is their mind at random points during the day. And what people then have to say is, oh, I was on task, I was off task. And what we see is just that most of the time, we're just not on task. As, as you said, it's, it's more than half of our time. We're really not paying attention to what we're doing, whether we're in a meeting or reading a, a, a report or trying to do an email. We're not there. Well, not, no, so I'm and not to like dig super deep into your details, but I'm going to a little bit. So we say on task. I think sometimes the task at hand is resting. Like I am deliberately daydreaming, taking a walk around the block, you know, getting a cup of coffee. How do we account for that? Right. That's a good question. If, as you said, you're deliberate about letting your mind wander, then you're on task. Okay, good. If you're going for a walk and you are actually present with going for a walk, you're on task. If you're going for a walk, wanting to go for a walk and just rest, and you just can't help ruminating over the latest, uh, let's say, plummeting stock market news, then you're off task. All right. Does that make sense? Uh, very clear. Well, so then th that 58%, so the majority of us are off task the majority of the time. Is that fair to say? Unfortunately, yes. All right. And, and this has been the case uh, prior to the coronavirus, and it, it's gotten worse, or, or do we have a comparative situation? This was prior to the coronavirus, and it has certainly gotten worse since then. Uh, we don't have the data yet. We will be getting that in a, in a few weeks. But the, the, the preliminary studies that we have done is, is staggering. First of all, that people, and this is specifically leaders, just have such a hard time being focused. And the second thing is that the distractions that they have are 89% of them are negative. So just imagine you're distracted most of the time and 89% of your distractions are negative, bringing you into a negative emotional state. It's awful. I mean, it is, we, we are moving directly to a major, major mental health crisis right now. All right. Well, so then um, I'm not going to pin you down on a, on a precise figure, but with these preliminary studies, like kind of ballpark, how much worse are we talking about? I think it's probably from the 58 that you talked about and probably around 65 to 75. 
That's a percent of people or percent of the time? That's percent of time for people in general. All right. Well, so there we go. We framed up the situation. Thank you. Uh, very starkly. All right. So what, what do we do about it? <laughs> what do you recommend? Here we are. What should we do? Yeah. I think there are a few things that we need to do. First of all, we need to, to learn to manage our mind. We can't manage our mind. We really can't manage where it's spending its time. We can't take a walk when we're taking a walk and we can't be focused on a meeting when we need to be focused on a meeting. So that's the first thing. And, and that is obviously done by mindfulness training because that is the training of basically rewiring our brain to be present with what we do. So, so that is the first and most fundamental step in general and especially in a crisis. Secondly, we need to look at, like carefully look at how we're living our lives. Like, do we need to check the phone when we get up in the morning? Do we need to bring our technology into meeting rooms? Do we need to have all of our notifications turned on at our phone and, and our computers? So do everything we can to be able to be more present with what we're doing. All right. So, so the second piece, you know, some, some basic kind of practices, habits, uh, environmental situations, like, hey, maybe I'm just going to put the phone elsewhere. Um, so then the first part, learning about how to manage the mind via mindfulness practices. I'll tell you what, Rasmus, I have been up and down in my mindfulness practices. It's, it, I find it really is genuinely beneficial. And I, I see good things on, on the day of and, the, and the, the weeks that follow, you know, when I'm consistent with it. And, and it is just amazing how much I don't want to do it. <laughs> it is just striking. Just yesterday, I was trying to talk myself into it again. And I was like, you know, Pete, in a way, that's one of the benefits is, is to get good at doing things you don't want to do or starting them is, is massively valuable. And this is me trying to talk myself into it. And it's like, it's probably one of the safest, lowest energy demanding ways that you can train that. Like, I don't need to get tasered repeatedly. I don't want to do that. <laughs> you know, and I don't need to you know, do a ton of taxes at work, which I don't want to do, which drains me. And, and, and so here I am trying to talk myself into it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you do it for me. Can you lay it on us? Some of the most just hard-hitting, quantifiable, mind-blowing benefits that professionals who want to be awesome at their job should know about to help them get through their resistance to doing mindfulness practice. Yeah, I think the first one, as you also alluded to, like knowing what are we getting out of it? Yeah. Because having that like carrot is, is, is helpful and the quantifiable benefits. I mean, there are way too many for me to mention them all now, but I'll just riff off a few. You will have better sleep quality. You will have more happiness. You'll have better work-life balance. You'll be more focused. You'll be more effective. You'll be more prioritized. And then there's all kinds of physiological things like your heart rate will be more healthy. Your skin will be more healthy. Your eyesight will be better. And I could just keep on going. I'm not going to go further down that thing. The, the, the most striking and, and fascinating thing, I think, is that what researchers have found that if we are doing mindfulness practice 10 minutes a day for eight weeks in a row, they can actually measure that a part of your brain called the prefrontal cortex, which is just behind your forehead, is actually growing thicker. So it is exactly the same as going to the gym and training your muscles. That's what's happening in mindfulness training. And then you might wonder, well, what's the benefit of having a little bit thicker, like behind your forehead brain? The big benefit is that that part of the brain is what is controlling or what is managing what we call executive function, meaning our ability to moment to moment monitor what am I thinking right now? What am I saying and what am I doing? So it basically puts us back into control of our life. 
And that, I think, is the most important benefit coming from the practice. So that was the first answer. Know the benefits because that motivates the, uh, a lot of people. But then there are a few tips on uh, on like how then to do the practice because sometimes just knowing the benefits is not going to be enough. So we can talk a bit about that if you want to. Oh, yes, please. Well, yeah, I, I want to hit the tips. And if I okay, just get a little bit. All right. So can you, can you give me some particulars about better sleep and more effectiveness? Because uh, what I find compelling about those, I'm just such a numbers dork. It's just like, all right, Pete, this is like ROI stuff. It's like, if I gain more minutes than I invest, then I am just a fool, you know, for, for not putting in those minutes. Because it's like getting free, free resources, like someone dumping a bag of money into my lap. So can I hear about the sleep and the effectiveness? Absolutely. So I can give you a few different numbers here. First, I'll talk about the work that we do ourselves, just because that's what I'm most familiar with. Uh, and where we do pretty thorough research. On average, the people that we work with, and we've worked with around 300,000 people so far from different companies, on average, they get a sleep quality that is, in their own experience, 36% better. That means they fall faster asleep, they wake up fewer times, and they get into deeper sleep. So that's pretty, pretty significant. In terms of effectiveness, Depending on how you define effectiveness, there are a few factors of that. That is the ability to stay focused on task. There's the ability of prioritizing the, the right thing. And then there is the ability of having the awareness of reprioritizing when you need to. And out of those factors, again, our, our clients have an average increase of 40%. So it's, it's, it's pretty significant. Then you may think, oh, Rasmus, he's just, you know, touting his own horn and all that. But other studies done by Harvard and Stanford are coming to more or less the same numbers. So, uh, so this, is, this is quite impressive. Ooh, now, now, now you're getting me there. So when it comes to prioritizing, a 40% uh, increased ability to prioritize, well, I'm a huge believer in the 80-20 rule and how indeed certain things are 16 times as important as others. Um, so if I could be doing those things... Uh, 40% more often, well, then that's, that's just massive. So, okay, thank you. I will be uh, returning to your words frequently <laughs> when I am resisting. <laughs> so, yeah, now let's get into the, the how-to. If, if we want to start training the mind, how do we get that going? Yeah, very good. So a few things that you can do if you want to actually adopt the practice is, first of all, like the, the hygiene stuff. Make sure you have a place that you do it. Make sure you decide for yourself what time of day. Make sure you decide how long time you want to do it. And a few tips that works best for most people is 10 minutes a day in the morning and the place, whatever place in your house that is most conducive, so most quiet. And there are no perfect places. So that's like the hygiene factors. When you have that, you create a habit of coming back to the same place and it gets a little bit easier. Then the second thing is to just puncture the biggest illusion that people have around mindfulness practice, which is the illusion that I'm going to practice mindfulness so that my mind will be calm and serene and beautiful and I will never ever be distracted or unhappy again. That is more or less the unconscious uh, idea that many of us have around this practice and that is such a mistake because the human brain is wired for distraction. It is basically through evolution made to look out for movements and changes in environment to save us from a saber-toothed tiger that's about to attack us. So that means we are distracted all the time. If we see that as a failure, 
because we believe that we should be serene and clear and calm, we're going to feel so discouraged because we're going to feel like we're failures. So first of all, just letting go of that illusion. It is called mindfulness practice, not mindfulness perfect, because it's a practice and it's something we do again and again and again, and then we become a little bit better, but we never get the serene mind. Bring some joy and pleasure into the practice. Many people find it or, 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 or think that now I'm sitting and I have to focus and like their eyebrows go together and their face is frowning a little bit because it's serious business now, I have to focus. Let go of all of that. I mean, seriously, the rest of the day, people are busy and running around and attention all over. These are the 10 minutes you give yourself every day. So give yourself a break and just enjoy it. Just enjoy sitting with that breathing. How wonderful it is to sit and breathe. So invite a sense of joy to the practice. And the last one, really short, it is not a failure to drop off one day. It is only a failure if you then do it the second day. So it's okay not to do it every day. But if you decide you want to do it like 14 days in a row, if you drop off one day, no problem. Don't judge yourself. Just remember the next day, get back on the horse again. So after two days, we should judge ourselves? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> well, well, and so I guess I'm curious, is, is that is the underlying thought for that recommendation about sort of the research on, on habit uh, acquisition and, and maintenance or, or, or kind of what's behind the, the one day versus two day guideline? Yeah, that, that is a whole uh, research called Atomic Habits that, that is behind that. Okay, lovely. All right, well, so then, and we, we've hit this from a few different angles from a few different people in terms of what, what are you actually doing there. So you, you're taking 10 minutes, you're in, in the quiet place in the morning, and you're acknowledging that it's, your mind is not going to be calm, serene, beautiful, and you're, you're focusing on the breath, like what... What are you doing? You're sitting there thinking about the breath, kind of what laid out for us. Yes, it's actually quite simple. Having said that, it never feels so simple when we get started on the practice. But first of all, it's important to relax. Uh, so relax your body and, and allow your mind to calm down a little bit. Because when we relax the body and we relax the mind a little bit, it's much easier to stay focused. When we are tense, which all of us are, then it's harder. So spend a few minutes, the first two minutes, just relaxing, especially as you breathe out, just releasing and letting go. Then start to bring your attention to the breath and let the breath become the anchor or the weight that you're lifting in this practice. Just like you go to the gym, you take a weight and you lift it up and you let go, you lift it up and you let it go. That's what you do with the breath. You're basically holding your attention on the breath as you're breathing in and breathing out and breathing in and breathing out and just sitting and doing that. And then at some point you'll realize, hey, now I'm thinking about what to cook for supper tonight. And that is a success. I mean, that moment, and that's the moment where people feel they fail because, oh, now I got distracted again. But that moment is actually not where people got distracted because the distraction has been going on for a while. When they become aware, that is the moment that they're actually mindful again. Hey, I'm distracted. So that's a moment of celebration. We should be grateful to the distractions because they're basically telling us, hey, pal, you're off track. Get back to the breath again. So we're sitting, focusing on the breath, then we realize we're distracted, then we just gently guide our attention back to the breath again. That is, in essence, what we're doing in mindfulness practice. And then you may wonder, why should I do this? Yeah, I get, you know, I get a little bit better sleep and all that stuff. But the key here is, the rest of the day, in our lives, our attention is our most scarce resource. So many things are calling for our attention. And by training our focus, we are more able to pay attention to what we need to 
And then when in daily life we're sitting in a meeting or doing an email and we're getting distracted by notifications or people talking or just our own ruminating mind, we have the awareness that we also trained in mindfulness that helps us to come back again. So this skill of training focus and awareness helps us basically to be more effective at work, to be higher performing, to spend less time on doing more work. That's in essence what it is. All right. Well, so well, well said. Thank you. I'm digging it. So then uh, we've, we've talked about the, the mindfulness practice and then the benefits and how that is, is quite worthwhile and, and then how, what you actually do. I'm curious, are there additional practices when it comes to building resilience and, and our ability to, to cope with these, these difficult times beyond sitting and breathing that you would recommend? There are definitely a few things that are helpful, and some of them are obvious. Just to cover off the basics, sleep is by far the most important for our well-being. So make sure you get enough sleep. But that's just, we all know that getting a little bit of movement is helpful and get good food is helpful. But we all know that. One thing that not everybody knows is if we want to have a little happier mind, feel a little bit more present, feel a little bit more balanced, multitasking is the enemy of all of that. So stopping to multitask, and that's a whole chapter on itself that we can talk about. But multitasking is the mother to all evil when it comes to performance, well-being, connections with others, and you name it. Mother of all evil. <laughs> yes, no less. It might be our pulled quote, Rasmus. They might be. <laughs> well, so sleep, movement, food. I often hear hydration you know, mentioned in that same sort of a sentence. Do you have any thoughts on water consumption? I'm, that, that's very important. Um, of course, that's very important. Yeah. Well, I guess some people say, you know, when I drink water, when I'm thirsty, that's all. Do I have to think about this any more than that? And, and some people say, absolutely, you do. If you're thirsty, it's too late. So, yeah, where, where do you come out on hydration? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely true. If we're thirsty, then it is a little bit too late. Most people are probably better at drinking enough than they are at eating the right stuff. Uh, especially those of us that are working in offices and long, working long days have the tendency of like after lunch and we have the dip in, uh, in, in energy to, to stuff up with sugar, which is bringing us into the blood sugar roller coaster, which is very unhelpful for our, for our brain's uh, ability of, of, of function very well. So at least with the thousands of clients we work with, what we eat is more important than what we drink, unless if people are binging on, on energy drinks, which is also not a good thing. Okay, understood. And then I also love to get your view if we go right into the heat of battle in terms of, all right, so here, here I am, I'm trying to get some work done, and I think, huh, oh, I, wonder, I haven't checked the news yet. You know, I wonder, I wonder what's on there. You know, I'm, I'm prepping for my Rasmus interview. It's like, oh man, this guy's very impressive, very accomplished. Oh wait, what, what's, what's, what's in the Wall Street Journal? I don't know yet. So there I am, I, I, I'm, I'm there, I'm tempted. What do I do? <laughs> yeah, what do you do? I, I think in that moment, it might actually be too late. Uh, it's like we need to train ourselves a little bit before we get into battle. That's, that's how all warriors or, or, or experts become good at what they do. It's not happening overnight. So again, it comes back to training the executive function on our brain so that we are more in control of what we do when we are in the heat of the moment. So my first answer would be practice mindfulness because that's going to help. Then now comes your situation. You are in that moment and you are tempted to, to go and check the news. Adopting a mantra of trying to have more space than more clutter is a really helpful one because we all tend to fill clutter into our mind 
And then you may ask, why is it that we want to clutter our mind? And let me tell you a story about one of the most fascinating research projects that I have ever come across. And I'm a researcher myself, so I know a lot of research. We have my attention. So imagine this. You have a room. In that room, there's a chair. There's a table. There is a little machine with a button on it. And then there is a wire from that button that goes to a wristband that is put around your wrist. Then researchers put people into that room one by one. They put this wristband around their wrists and they say, now try to press the button. And then they basically get an electroshock on their wrist. And they are asked, is this painful? And people are like shouting and screaming and saying, yes, it is very painful. And they're asked, so how much would you pay to not have that pain again? And the people that have been doing through, through this research, and that's many hundreds, are saying that on average they would give $47 to not have that electric shock again. Researchers say, fine, that's, that's good, that's, 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 we understand. Now what we'll do is we'll leave you in, in this room just for yourself. Between 7 and 14 minutes you'll be sitting in here. Are you okay with that? People say, yes, I'm okay with that. Sure, why not? And so people are sitting in a room where there's no TV, there's no phone, there's nothing they can do, nothing to look at, there are no windows, just left to their own device and a button whereby they can give themselves an electroshock that they would pay $47 not to have. What do you think they do? No, what do you think we do? Because this is us. Well, you know, I've, I've heard references to this, but the $47 was due to me. Uh, I think a surprisingly large proportion of us, you know, just to escape boredom or whatever, choose to self-inflict, right? Now, what, what, what's the figure? Yeah, so the figure is for women is 46%. So that's a lot, like almost half of women. For men, it's 76. And even one of the guys in the experiment, he did it 117 times. So basically, the pain of being left to our own mind can be so horrible and scary for most of us that we would rather bring electroshock to ourselves than just be in our own mind. And so coming back to your example of you're going to do an interview and then, oh, should I just check the news? Our mind wants to check the news because our mind does not want space. Our mind wants clutter because when we have clutter, we don't need to think about the bigger existential questions like who am I and why does life sometimes feel painful? No, we'd rather drink a beer or we'd rather have a piece of chocolate or watch the news or do anything that avoids us thinking. So that's the answer. All right. Well, that's powerful stuff. Thank you. Uh, Rasmus, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we hear about some of your favorite things? I would say in the crisis that we're in right now, and this is just a heartfelt um, recommendation to people, is to really give themselves time and space and avoid just cluttering the mind because we need it more than anything else. We really need space to recalibrate to a new reality and not to get so anxious as, as most of us are. So give yourself space and a mindfulness practice is really going to help. So that would be it. Thank you. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? A favorite quote would be Mark Twain saying, I have experienced many terrible things in my life. A few of them actually came true. Thank you. And the point of it is obviously <laughs> that... Uh, that our mind is creating our reality and we are creating so many catastrophic scenarios in our head that never happens, but we experience them. And especially in a crisis like now, the crisis is not half as bad as our minds are making it. Okay. And how about a favorite book? William James wrote a book that is, uh, that where the, the most big quote in there is, 
what you attend to in this moment becomes your reality. So this idea that our mind is like a torchlight, what we point our attention to is what becomes our reality and we don't see everything else. And if that's really true, which I think it is, that means if we point our, our, our attention to the right things, we can actually create our reality by pointing our attention to the right things. We can create a really beautiful world and a really great life if we can manage our attention. All right, thank you. And how about a favorite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job? Uh, I think OneNote. OneNote really helps me to, uh, to structure everything so I don't need to have it in my head. And is there a particular nugget you share that you're known for? People quote it back to you often? I am known for, I, th I guess, a few things. Um, all of my colleagues have a favorite joke about me. When I started the company about 14 years ago, you know, bringing mindfulness to corporations back then was just so far out. Like nobody were interested in that. That's very different uh, nowadays. Uh, back then, so, pe so few people actually wanted it that uh, I had to go dumpster diving with my kids to actually have food on the, on the table at home. No kidding. Uh, that's something my colleagues like to talk about. Wow. Well, that, that is commitment. Those are great times. Yeah, I, I had moments of being broke as an entrepreneur in my early days. But, uh, that is significantly more dramatic. Wow. Well, we're, I'm glad you stuck with it. Thank you. But I think that my, lear my learning from that was, uh, which I would share with anybody, like be at the, at the very low point. I mean, in terms of finances, teach you that you can live on nothing. And when my wife and I and our kids, we look back at that time, we were incredibly happy. Life was so simple and it was so beautiful. And while now life is very different, you know, we have everything we need and much more than that. I don't have the same contentment and, and ease as back then. So I, I, I wouldn't be sad to go back to that. I probably wouldn't want to dumpster dive, but just have a little bit more food than we had back then. So I wouldn't worry about it. All right. Thank you. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Uh, go to our website. I think uh, potentialproject.com is probably the best place. All right. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? I mean, given the topic of what we discussed, it should be to adopt, uh, take up the challenge of doing two weeks of mindfulness practice. We have, a, we have developed a free app that people can use. And if you go to potentialproject.app, you can download the app for free. And there you'll be basically launched into a full program. Try it for two weeks. The worst thing that can happen is that you're losing 140 minutes of your life. But best case, and that's going to happen for the majority, and we have worked with hundreds of thousands of people, so I know. Best case is you will feel more balanced, you'll feel more joy, you'll sleep better. There's so much to gain, so little to lose. So adopt the daily mindfulness practice. All right. Rasmus, this has been a very eye-opening and enjoyable. I wish you all the best in unlocking additional potential for you and your clients and all you encounter. Thank you so much, Pete, and the same to you and to everybody out there. I really had some fun in this conversation with Rasmus and you could almost hear, I don't know, maybe my, my desperation is like, okay, you're the guy, convince me. <laughs> and, and I think it worked. I've been pretty consistent uh, with my mindfulness practice and I've done some more minutes. I've been uh, playing around this time with the Insight Timer app just because I like how it has a lot of free stuff and I can customize the, the timer to give a little woodblock every couple minutes just to be the reminder like, oh, hey, remember what you're doing here? As well as a little dong, you know, uh, I guess singing bowl sound at the beginning and end. So you can have a lot of free stuff there at Insight Timer, that app. Yeah. But anywho, what I've discovered is that I have been better able to resist the urges of, of checking news and email. And, and even more particularly, I find that sometimes my brain goes into, just like starts arguing with people who aren't there sometimes. <laughs> 
<laughs> like I see something and I think, oh yeah, but someone might have a problem with that. It's like, well, if they say this, I'll say that. But if they say this, then I'll say that. Oh, but if they get really weak, you know? And so it's like I'm having this imaginary argument that's probably not ever going to happen. It's not like a productive preparatory, you know, mental rehearsal. It's it's just, I'm getting riled up uh, for nothing. But then when I, I do the, the mindfulness stuff, it's easier for me to say, oh, I see what's going on here. I'm just going to go ahead and return to what I was doing. So good stuff from Rasmus. He convinced me. Hope he convinced you. The show notes, the transcript, the links to as we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F576. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe. You'll catch our next guest, Kevin Eikenberry. He is a renowned leader when it comes to leadership remotely, how to do it optimally. Hope you catch it there. And peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.